Hi folks, this is the Dispatch Riders podcast, a series bringing you exciting and enthralling Indian war stories. Stories about great Indian battles, stories about incidents that happened during wartime, and finally stories about great men and great leaders of the Indian armed forces. Stay tuned with me. Welcome friends. If America had a Vietnam and Russia had an Afghanistan, then most certainly India had a Sri Lanka. India's military intervention in Sri Lanka between 1987 and 1990 was a grandiose misadventure that achieved neither its military objectives nor its political ones. Stay with me. The decision to go into Sri Lanka was the result of a prime minister who was naive, had zero political experience or acumen, and who was unwittingly propelled into the highest executive office of India as a consequence of his mother Indira Gandhi's assassination. All his advisers failed to provide prudent advice either due to their own limitations or personal agenda. To top it all, was the influence of the then army chief general sundarji over his prime minister after operation brastax failed sundarji was more keen than ever to salvage his reputation and fulfill his ambition to carve out his own glory that combination of poor planning intelligence failures and limited coordination at the top became a recurrent theme in what grew into india's own vietnam the result was that the indian peacekeeping force of 100000 men that was inducted into sri lanka ostensibly to maintain peace in the island country which was torn by a civil war between the ruling government and the rebelling tamils failed completely in its mission and was asked to leave india lost about 1250 brave men in 32 months with many more injured and crippled for life men who fought for the honor and izzat of their paltans and that of their regiments a year after the withdrawal of the ipkf from sri lanka rajiv gandhi was assassinated by the ltte i will now provide a background to the conflict between the tamils and the sinhalese in sri lanka and the reasons why the indian peacekeeping force was inducted into the island country the tamils and the sinhalese comprised the two main ethnic groups in sri lanka the tamil population was dominant in the north and eastern parts of the island country the two groups existed in harmony protecting each other's interests during the colonial rule then in 1948 a controversial law was enacted called the ceylon citizenship act that deliberately discriminated against the tamils 
making it impossible for them to secure citizenship of Sri Lanka. Over the next 30 years, more than 300,000 Tamils were deported to India. Various state actions led to simmering discontent amongst the Tamils. In 1956, the Sinhala-only Act was passed, which was seen as a deliberate attempt to keep the Tamils out of the government and civil jobs. There was state-sponsored colonization of Tamil areas by the Sinhali peasants. Import of Tamil media was banned and preference was given by the state to one religion, Buddhism. By the 60s, documents pertaining to a separate Tamil state or Tamil Elam began to circulate. By 1983, a full-fledged civil war between the ruling government and the LTTE which was the liberation of Tigers Tamil Elam, was on. The Sri Lankan government launched Operation Liberation, in which the Sri Lankan armed forces began a military campaign of conquest against the Jaffna Peninsula, dominated by the Tamils. Welcome back, folks. On the Indian side, the ruling government came under tremendous pressure from the political parties in Tamil Nadu, the DMK and the AIDMK, for Indian support to the Tamils. This could not be ignored if the Congress party wanted support of these parties in South India. India intervened initially in Sri Lanka with the sole aim of saving the Tamils. Covert military training was provided to the Tamil militants this put India in a direct confrontation with the Sinhala nationalism. In May 1987, a major operation amounting to Tamil genocide was launched by the Sri Lankan armed forces. India decided to act by providing food and medicine supplies to the Tamils, which was eventually turned back by the Sri Lankan Navy. At this stage, India, led by a Prime Minister who was totally inexperienced and totally misled by the Army Chief, and other advisors in the foreign office and bureaucracy decided to intervene officially. The Indo-Sri Lankan agreement was signed in Colombo on the 29th of July 1987 between Sri Lankan President Jayavardhane and the Indian Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi. This agreement provided for Indian troops at specific request to be stationed in the north part of Sri Lanka to keep peace. The agreement also provided for establishment of a northeastern province in Sri Lanka with a democratically elected provincial assembly and government with some powers that gave the Tamils some autonomy. The agreement included the laying down of arms and cessation of hostilities on both sides involved in the civil war. The agreement was welcomed by Tamils in both countries who viewed this as a measured step by the Indian army to rescue Tamil civilians from the Sri Lankan armed forces. President Jayavardhane agreed to sign this, though reluctantly, as his primary interest was to end the violence in the Tamil-dominated North and establishment of law and order. He also viewed the proposed intervention of the Indian Army as a means to relieve the much-stretched Sri Lankan armed forces in the Jaffna province. The bizarre aspect of the Indo-Sri Lankan agreement was that while the LTT represented by its chief V. Prabhakaran had been kept in the loop about the proposed agreement, the LTT, one of the salient parties in the conflict, was not a signatory to the agreement. 
वेलकम अगेन आई नॉट टॉक अबाउट द इंडियन पीस कीपिंग फोर्स एंड ऑपरेशन पवन द इंडियन पीस कीपिंग फोर्स वॉज प्लेस्ड अंडर एन ओवरऑल फोर्स कमांडर हु वॉज द जियो सी इन सी ऑफ द सदर्न कमांड लेफ्टिनेंट जनरल दीपिंदर सिंह द फिफ्टी फोर डिविजन बेस्ड इन सिकंदराबाद क्लोजेस्ट टू श्रीलंका वॉज द फॉर्मेशन चोजन टू बी इंडक्टेड दिस वॉज कमांडेड बाई मेजर जनरल हरकीरत सिंह हु वुड बी द सीनियर मोस्ट आर्मी ऑफिसर ऑन द ग्राउंड For the army there were two infantry divisions one armored brigade and one independent infantry brigade as part of the IPKF For the navy there were about 36 Indian navy vessels including warships patrol boats submarines and naval aircraft And for the air force there were 99 aircraft mostly transport aircraft but including one squadron of ground attack fighters which were Jaguar aircraft and some light bombers there were huge gaps in the preparedness and plans of the indian peacekeeping force number 1 while the force involved all three services there was no joint tri service command set up and this was proved to be disastrous number 2 as far as 54 division was concerned no war gaming of possible situations was held which is a routine practice by the army in any operation as a result no operational plans were made no operational instructions received by the divisions and no operational order was made number 3 the division was ordered to move at extremely short notice just one day was given to prepare before battalions were airlifted standard mobilization drills and orders were omitted there was actually no need for such a hurry but the army chief was personally doing the pushing through his senior officers at army headquarters the overall force commander did not have the stomach to stand up to the chief and protest against the haphazard manner in which the movement was being executed number 4 the infantry units of 54 division were sent piecemeal disorganized and under strength they landed without maps of the area and with very little ammunition Welcome again folks as we continue with the rest of the story. The arrival of the Indian peacekeeping force in Sri Lanka was greeted with euphoria by both the Sri Lankan armed forces and the Tamil inhabitants. The LTTE began to hand over weapons but did not really comply with the agreement. While the LTTE were expected to lay down arms, the Indian Research and Analysis Wing or RAW continued to overtly supply arms to other large militant groups the foreign ministry was aware of this but the army could do little to prevent this tensions between the ltte and the indian peacekeeping force began to mount two other significant incidents which i will describe now amounting to bungling really by the indians proved to be the last straw the ltte who were always supposed to be our boys soon would become india's enemy the peacekeeping force soon started a war in sri lanka i'll talk about these two major incidents just after a very short break
Welcome back. There were two major incidents that occurred that turned the situation around and brought the LTT in direct open confrontation with the Indian peacekeeping force. In other words, the LTT and the Indian peacekeeping force were now at war. The first incident involved Thilipan's fast unto death. Thilipan, the propaganda leader of the LTT, went on a fast unto death in Jaffna to protest against India's disregard for LTT's demands regarding the formation of the northeastern Tamil province. Thilipan's expectation was that Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi give all that was promised to the LTTE through the India-Sri Lanka agreement. But the Indian government represented through the Sri Lankan High Commissioner was in no mood to grant too much authority to the Tamils. Major General Harkirat Singh, the GOC of 54 Division, the man closest to the ground reality and also a man having a good rapport with the LTTE, urged Jain Dikshit, India's High Commissioner to Sri Lanka, to visit and talk to Thilipan. Dikshit ignored the suggestion. Thilipan died after 12 days of fasting. This incident was the first major event leading to the breakdown of relations between the LTTE and the Government of India. The talks regarding the formation of the Northeastern Provincial Council between the Government of India and the Tamil groups on the one hand and between the governments of India and Sri Lanka on the other broke down. The Sri Lankan President was adamant on not accepting the LTTE nominee as the Chief Administrator of the Northeastern Provincial Council. The LTTE was angry that India would not accept it as the only representative of Tamil opinion. Jain Dikshit's meeting with Prabhakaran, the LTTE chief, added fuel to fire. In this meeting, rather than exercising diplomacy with a battle-hardened politico-military leader, which would have resulted in some positive consequences, Dikshit attempted to bulldoze his way in the negotiations and Prabhakar did not give in to Dikshit's bullying. The way the negotiations were handled by Jain Dikshit put a quick and permanent end to India's influence over the LTTE. The political and diplomatic steps taken by the government of India failed. The stage was set for an armed showdown with the LTTE. The task of formation of the Northeastern Provincial Council by Sri Lanka became even more difficult. The second instance of bungling by the Indian peacekeeping force came to be known as the boat tragedy. Pulendra Kumaran, the LTTE area commander of Jaffna, desperately wanted by Sri Lankan government for a large number of killings of a large number of Sri Lankan policemen and Sinhala soldiers and 15 other LTTE men were apprehended by the Sri Lankan Navy in a boat. They were brought to the Sri Lankan naval base. Prabhakaran sent an urgent and desperate message to Major General Harkirat Singh. In his message, Prabhakaran raised strong objections to the capture of the LTTE men since they had been granted amnesty as per the agreement. Prabhakaran urged General Harkirat Singh to prevent the LTTE men being taken to Colombo where he was sure they would be tortured. Prabhakaran's message also warned Harkirat Singh that in case the men did get transferred to Colombo, 
the Indian peacekeeping force would be responsible for the consequences. The LTT would not observe cessation of hostilities and would not cooperate with the IPKF in maintaining peace. The Sri Lankan armed forces backed by the Sri Lankan government was determined to take the prized catch Pulendra to Colombo. The Indian peacekeeping force was determined to protect them. This resulted in a siege. Pulendra and his 15 LTT men were surrounded by the Indian troops who in turn were surrounded by the Sri Lankan troops who in turn were surrounded by the Indian army once again and this ring was surrounded by the armed personnel carriers of the Sri Lankan army. Major General Harkirat Singh asked Jain Dikshit to intervene once again. Dikshit along with the overall force commander Lieutenant General Dipinder Singh came and met Harkirat and then had a meeting with the president Jayawardene. The latter along with his ministers were adamant that Pulendra must be handed over and stand trial. Lieutenant General Dipinder Singh then instructed Harkirat Singh to hand over the prisoners to the Sri Lankans. Obliged to follow orders, Harkirat complied. The Indian troops withdrew. The Sri Lankans moved forward to take the prisoners who immediately swallowed cyanide capsules to commit suicide. 12 LTT men including Polendra died instantly and four were rescued. The LTT announced their withdrawal from the agreement and immediately resorted to violence which included the killing of Indian soldiers. and various personnel of the Sri Lankan government agencies the indian defense minister kc pant along with the chief of army staff and the overall force commander arrived in colombo to have talks with the sri lankan president who categorically told the indians that unless the indian peacekeeping force took action against the ltte he would be forced to call the sri lankan armed forces back to protect the sinhalese thus effectively breaking the agreement the indians backed down once again the prime minister who was presented with a situation where the ltt broke away from the agreement and killed indian soldiers took a decision to go out and neutralize the ltt the very tamil group india's own boys who were trained and equipped by india had now turned into the ipkf's enemy The decision to disarm the LTT by force was taken on October 9, 1987. The mission was to capture Jaffna at the earliest. The order issued by the overall force commander was to capture Jaffna within 4 days. In terms of military strength, there were two divisions available, the 54 division and the 36 division. The full complement of these formations was however absent. Other fighting components like an artillery brigade and at least one armored regiment were not there the attack itself that commenced on the 11th october was of a novel kind the advance was on a town that was heavily fortified with well armed and highly motivated defenders with plenty of ammunition there were mines and booby traps laid all along the approach to the town on the indian side no air power was used no artillery guns to soften the enemy defenses and no tanks providing fire support there were crowds of civilians including women and children behind whom were armed young men the civilians would advance right up to the approaching troops while the armed men behind them would take up firing positions 
the civilians would suddenly disperse and the Indian troops would come under fire. In such a situation, there were a few civilian casualties which would be taken up by the LTTE propaganda machine as a deliberate action by the Indian army to kill innocents. Despite great odds, Jaffna was ultimately captured between the 20th and 26th of October. Thereafter, on 5th November, the task of the Indian peacekeeping force was changed to counter-insurgency. More force was inducted now, totaling to four instead of two divisions. The army faced numerous tactical problems. They tended to operate on roads and prominent well-defined tracks and so were prone to ambush. LTTE snipers firing from concealed positions on rooftops and from seats tied at the top of coconut trees rendered them invisible from a distance and took a heavy toll on the infantry. There were weaknesses in the signal communication systems because of which it was not possible to communicate with smaller patrols. In contrast, the LTTE had established non-conventional but effective communications using civilian supporters. For instance, whenever a patrol went out, the nearest church bells would start ringing and the number of times the bells rang indicated the number of soldiers in the patrol party. Unknown to the patrol, a small child would run ahead with another, relieving the first, till the child reached and reported to the LTTE men waiting in ambush. The Sri Lankan presidential elections were held in 1989. Jayawardene did not contest the elections. Premadasa, who had always maintained a hawkish approach towards the IPKF and the LTTE, was sworn in. An anti-India posture was adapted by Premadasa to play up to the feelings of the Sinhalese for political gains. By 1989, normalcy had more or less been created and the situation was almost normal. The anti-Indian posture of the government continued. The India-Sri Lanka agreement was by now more or less defunct. The government and the LTTE, who just a couple of years ago were fighting each other in a civil war, were now united against the Indian peacekeeping force. Premadasa went to the extent of threatening to declare a war against the Indian peacekeeping force if it did not withdraw by 29th of July 1989. Separately, he tried to enter into a political agreement with the LTTE, but those talks broke down and ultimately Premadasa was assassinated by an LTTE suicide bomber. On the Indian political front, the DMK was now strongly opposed to the IPKF too. This change in stance was due to the fact that M. Karunanidhi earlier believed that the role of the IPKF was peacekeeping, whereas by now it was fighting the Tamils. At the centre, the opposition made a huge issue simply because the decision to induct the IPKF was taken by a Congress government. The IPKF, no longer enjoying any political support because the India-Sri Lanka agreement was now defunct, was ordered to withdraw in a phased manner by March 1990. In the end, more than 1,200 soldiers died 
about 4500 were injured during the 967 day misadventure for the indian peacekeeping force in sri lanka So what were the lessons learned the political decision making and the diplomatic handling of the India Sri Lanka agreement were flawed three agencies worked in their own interests the indian peacekeeping force the external affairs ministry and the indian intelligence agency raw the organization of the indian peacekeeping force was flawed there was no joint overall force commander who coordinated and was responsible for the joint efforts of the army navy and the air force for the conduct of the ground operations there was an overall force commander of the rank of lieutenant general but operational instructions were being received directly from the army headquarters welcome back to conclude The civil war in Sri Lanka was never meant to be an affair in which India should have meddled because of a prime minister who had no experience and an over ambitious army chief who was trigger happy and a series of diplomatic blunders precious lives of indian soldiers were lost not to mention the humiliation the indian army had to face at the hands of the LTTE as well as the Sri Lankan government the indian army which was called in to help the government of sri lanka was ultimately threatened and forced to leave that country friends i hope you like this episode as much as i like presenting it to you if you wish to leave a comment on this episode or some feedback please write an email to this address drpodcast.feedback@gmail.com dr as in dispatch rider drpodcast.feedback@gmail.com i'll be back very soon with yet another episode till then this is your dispatch rider saying goodbye